section forty two of the united states this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world story volume twelve the united states edited by eva march tappan section forty two how new amsterdam became new york sixteen sixty four by washington irving england had no intention of leaving new amsterdam in the hands of her commercial rivals the dutch and although the two nations were at peace charles the second sent in sixteen sixty four a fleet under command of richard nichols and demanded the surrender of the colony the editor the first movement of the governor peter stuyvesant on reaching his dwelling was to mount the roof whence he contemplated with rueful aspect the hostile squadron this had already come to anchor in the bay and consisted of two stout frigates having on board as john jocelyn gentleman informs us three hundred valiant redcoats having taken this survey he sat himself down and wrote an epistle to the commander demanding the reason of his anchoring in the harbour without obtaining previous permission so to do this letter was couched in the most dignified and courteous terms though i have it from undoubted authority that his teeth were clinched and he had a bitter sardonic grin upon his visage all the while he wrote having dispatched his letter the grim peter stumped to and fro about the town with the most war betokening countenance his hands thrust into his breeches pockets and whistling a low dutch psalm tune which bore no small resemblance to the music of a northeast wind when a storm is brewing the very dogs as they eyed him skulked away in dismay while all the old and ugly women of new amsterdam ran howling at his heels imploring him to save them from murder robbery and pitiless ravishment the reply of colonel nicholas who commanded the invaders was couched in terms of equal courtesy with the letter of the governor declaring the right and title of his british majesty to the province where he affirmed the dutch to be merely interlopers and demanding that the town forts etc should be forthwith rendered into his majesty's obedience and protection promising at the same time life liberty estate and free trade to every dutch denizen who should readily submit to his majesty's government peter stuyvesant read over this friendly epistle with some such harmony of aspect as we may suppose a crusty farmer reads the loving letter of john styles warning him of an action of ejectment he was not however to be taken by surprise but thrusting the summons into his breeches pocket stalked three times across the room took a pinch of snuff with great vehemence and then loftily waving his hand promised to send an answer the next morning he now summoned a general meeting of his privy councillors and burgomasters not to ask their advice for confident in his own strong head he needed no man's counsel but apparently to give them a piece of his mind on their late craven conduct his orders being duly promulgated it was a piteous sight to behold the late valiant burgomasters who had demolished the whole british empire in their harangues peeping ruefully out of their hiding-places crawling cautiously forth dodging through narrow lanes and alleys starting at every little dog that barked mistaking lamp-posts for british grenadiers and in the excess of their panic metamorphosing pumps into formidable soldiers levelling blunderbusses at their bosoms having however in despite of numerous perils and difficulties of the kind arrived safely without the loss of a single man at the hall of assembly they took their seats and awaited in fearful silence the arrival of the governor 
in a few moments the wooden leg of the intrepid peter was heard in regular and stout-hearted thumps upon the staircase he entered the chamber arrayed in full suit of regimentals and carrying his trusty toledo not girded on his thigh but tucked under his arm as the governor never equipped himself in this portentous manner unless something of martial nature were working within his pericranium his council regarded him ruefully as if they saw fire and sword in his iron countenance and forgot to light their pipes in breathless suspense his first words were to rate his counsel soundly for having wasted in idle debate and party feud the time which should have been devoted to putting the city in a state of defence he was particularly indignant at those brawlers who had disgraced the councils of the province by empty bickerings and scurrilous invectives against an absent enemy he now called upon them to make good their words by deeds as the enemy they had defied and derided was at the gate finally he informed them of the summons he had received to surrender but concluded by swearing to defend the province as long as heaven was on his side and he had a wooden leg to stand upon which warlike sentence he emphasized by a thwack with the flat of his sword upon the table that quite electrified his auditors the privy councillors who had long since been brought into as perfect discipline as were ever the soldiers of the great frederick knew there was no use in saying a word so lighted their pipes and smoked away in silence like fat and discreet councillors but the burgomasters being inflated with considerable importance and self-sufficiency acquired at popular meetings were not so easily satisfied mustering up fresh spirit when they found there was some chance of escaping from their present jeopardy without the disagreeable alternative of fighting they requested a copy of the summons to surrender that they might show it to a general meeting of the people so insolent and mutinous a request would have been enough to have roused the gorge of the tranquil van twiller himself what then must have been its effect upon the great stuyvesant who was not only a dutchman a governor and a valiant wooden-legged soldier to boot but withal a man of the most stomachful and gunpowder disposition he burst forth into a blaze of indignation swore not a mother's son of them should see a syllable of it that as to their advice or concurrence he did not care a whiff of tobacco for either that they might go home and go to bed like old women for he was determined to defend the colony himself without the assistance of them or their adherents so saying he tucked his sword under his arm cocked his hat upon his head and girding up his loins stumped indignantly out of the council chamber everybody making room for him as he passed no sooner was he gone than the busy burgomasters called a public meeting in front of the stadthouse where they appointed as chairman one de fuhrer bach formerly a meddlesome member of the cabinet during the reign of william the testy but kicked out of office by peter stuyvesant on taking the reins of government he was withal a mighty gingerbread baker in the land and reverenced by the populace as a man of dark knowledge seeing that he was the first to imprint new year cakes with the mysterious hieroglyphics of the cock and breeches and such like magical devices this burgomaster who still chewed the cud of ill-will against peter stuyvesant addressed the multitude in what is called a patriotic speech informing them of the courteous summons which the governor had received to surrender of his refusal to comply therewith and of his denying the public even a sight of the summons which doubtless contained conditions highly to the honour and advantage of the province he then proceeded to speak of his excellency in high-sounding terms of vituperation suited to the dignity of his station comparing him to nero caligula and other flagrant great men of yore assuring the people that the history of the world did not contain a despotic outrage equal to the present that it would be recorded in letters of fire on the blood-stained tablet of history that ages would roll back with sudden horror when they came to view it 
that the womb of time by the way your orators and writers take strange liberties with the womb of time though some would have us believe that time is an old gentleman that the womb of time pregnant as it was with direful horrors would never produce a parallel enormity with a variety of other heart-rending soul-stirring tropes and figures which i cannot enumerate neither indeed need i for they were of the kind which even to the present day form the style of popular harangues and patriotic orations and may be classed in rhetoric under the general title of rigmarole the result of this speech of the inspired burgomaster was a memorial addressed to the governor remonstrating in good round terms on his conduct it was proposed that de Rohrbach himself should be the bearer of this memorial but this he warily declined having no inclination of coming again within kicking distance of his excellency who did deliver it has never been named in history in which neglect he has suffered grievous wrong seeing that he was equally worthy of blazon with him perpetuated in scottish song and story by the surname of bell the cat all we know of the fate of this memorial is that it was used by the grim peter to light his pipe which from the vehemence with which he smoked it was evidently anything but a pipe of peace the glare of day had long dispelled the horrors of the stormy night still all was dull and gloomy the late jovial apollo hid his face behind lugubrious clouds peeping out now and then for an instant as if anxious yet fearful to see what was going on in his favourite city this was the eventful morning when the great peter was to give his reply to the summons of the invaders already was he closeted with his privy council sitting in grim state brooding over the fate of his favourite trumpeter and anon boiling with indignation as the insolence of his recreant burgomasters flashed upon his mind while in this state of irritation a courier arrived in all haste from winthrop the subtle governor of connecticut counselling him in the most affectionate and disinterested manner to surrender the province and magnifying the dangers and calamities to which a refusal would subject him what a moment was this to intrude officious advice upon a man who never took advice in his whole life the fiery old governor strode up and down the chamber with a vehemence that made the bosoms of his counsellors to quake with awe railing at his unlucky fate that thus made him the constant butt of factious subjects and jesuitical advisers just at this ill-chosen juncture the officious burgomasters who had heard of the arrival of mysterious dispatches came marching in a body into the room with a legion of shepins and toad-eaters at their heels and abruptly demanded a perusal of the letter this was too much for the spleen of peter stuyvesant he tore the letter in a thousand pieces threw it in the face of the nearest burgomaster broke his pipe over the head of the next hurled his spitting-box at an unlucky shepin who was just retreating out at the door and finally prorogued the whole meeting sine die by kicking them downstairs with his wooden leg as soon as the burgomasters could recover from their confusion and had time to breathe they called a public meeting where they related at full length and with appropriate colouring and exaggeration the despotic and vindictive deportment of the governor declaring that for their own parts they did not value a straw the being kicked cuffed and mauled by the timber-toe of his excellency but that they felt for the dignity of the sovereign people thus rudely insulted by the outrage committed on the seat of honour of their representatives the latter part of the harangue came home at once to that delicacy of feeling and jealous pride of character vested in all true mobs who though they may bear injuries without a murmur yet are marvellously jealous of their sovereign dignity and there is no knowing to what act of resentment they might have been provoked had they not been somewhat more afraid of their sturdy old governor than they were of st nicholas the english or the devil himself 
there is something exceedingly sublime and melancholy in the spectacle which the present crisis of our history presents an illustrious and venerable little city the metropolis of a vast extent of uninhabited country garrisoned by a doughty host of orators chairmen committeemen burgomasters shepherds and old women governed by a determined and strong-headed warrior and fortified by mud batteries palisados and resolutions blockaded by a sea beleaguered by land and threatened with direful isolation from without while its very vitals are torn with internal faction and commotion never did historic pen record a page of more complicated distress unless it be the strife that distracted the israelites during the siege of jerusalem where discordant parties were cutting each other's throats at the moment when the victorious legions of titus had toppled down their bulwarks and were carrying fire and sword into the very sanctum sanctorum of the temple governor stuyvesant having triumphantly put his grand council to the rout and delivered himself from a multitude of impertinent advisers dispatched a categorical reply to the commanders of the invading squadron wherein he asserted the right and title of their high mightinesses the lord's states-general to the province of new netherlands and trusting in the righteousness of his cause set the whole british nation at defiance my anxiety to extricate my readers and myself from these disastrous scenes prevents me from giving the whole of this gallant letter which concluded in these manly and affectionate terms as touching the threats in your conclusion we have nothing to answer only that we fear nothing but what god who is just as merciful shall lay upon us all things being in his gracious disposal and we may as well be preserved by him with small forces as by a great army which makes us to wish you all happiness and prosperity and recommend you to his protection my lord your thrice humble and affectionate servant and friend p stuyvesant thus having thrown his gauntlet the brave peter stuck a pair of horse pistols in his belt girded an immense powder-horn on his side thrust his sound leg into a hessian boot and clapping his fierce little war-hat on the top of his head paraded up and down in front of his house determined to defend his beloved city to the last while all these struggles and discussions were prevailing in the unhappy city of new amsterdam and while its worthy but ill-starred governor was framing the above-quoted letter the english commanders did not remain idle they had agents secretly employed to foment the fears and clamours of the populace and moreover circulated far and wide through the adjacent country a proclamation repeating the terms they had already held out in their summons to surrender at the same time beguiling the simple netherlanders with the most crafty and conciliating professions they promised that every man who voluntarily submitted to the authority of his british majesty should retain peaceful possession of his house his vrouw and his cabbage garden that he should be suffered to smoke his pipe speak dutch wear as many breeches as he pleased and import bricks tiles and stone jugs from holland instead of manufacturing them on the spot that he should on no account be compelled to learn the english language nor eat codfish on saturdays nor keep accounts in any other way than by chalking them down upon the crown of his hat as is observed among the dutch yeomanry at the present day that every man should be allowed quietly to inherit his father's hat coat shoe-buckles pipe and other personal appendage and that no man should be obliged to conform to any improvements inventions or any other modern innovations but on the contrary should be permitted to build his house follow his trade manage his farm rear his hogs and educate his children precisely as his ancestors had done before him from time immemorial finally that he should have all the benefits of free trade and should not be required to acknowledge any other saint in the calendar than saint nicholas who should thenceforward as before be considered the tutelar saint of the city 
these terms as may be supposed appeared very satisfactory to the people who had a great disposition to enjoy their property unmolested and a most singular aversion to engage in a contest where they could gain little more than honour and broken heads the first of which they held in philosophic indifference the latter in utter detestation by these insidious means therefore did the english succeed in alienating the confidence and affections of the populace from their gallant old governor whom they considered as obstinately bent upon running them into hideous misadventures and did not hesitate to speak their minds freely and abuse him most heartily behind his back like as a mighty grampus when assailed and buffeted by roaring waves and brawling surges still keeps on an undeviating course rising above the boisterous billows spouting and blowing as he emerges so did the inflexible peter pursue unwavering his determined career and rise contemptuous above the clamours of the rabble when the british warriors found that he set their power at defiance they dispatched recruiting officers to jamaica and jericho and nineveh and quag and patchogue and all those towns on long island which had been subdued of yore by stoffel brinkerhoff stirring up progeny of preserved fish and determined cock and those other new england squatters to assail the city of new amsterdam by land while the hostile ships prepared for an assault by water the streets of new amsterdam now presented a scene of wild dismay and consternation in vain did peter stuyvesant order the citizens to arm and assemble on the battery blank terror reigned over the community the whole party of short pipes in the course of a single night had changed into errant old women a metamorphosis only to be paralleled by the prodigies recorded by livy as having happened at rome at the approach of hannibal when statues sweated in pure affright goats were converted into sheep and cocks turning into hens ran cackling about the street thus baffled in all attempts to put the city in a state of defence blockaded from without tormented from within and menaced with a yankee invasion even the stiff-necked will of peter stuyvesant for once gave way and in spite of his mighty heart which swelled in his throat until it nearly choked him he consented to a treaty of surrender words cannot express the transports of the populace on receiving this intelligence had they obtained a conquest over their enemies they could not have indulged greater delight the streets resounded with their congratulations they extolled their governor as the father and deliverer of his country they crowded to his house to testify their gratitude and were ten times more noisy in their plaudits than when he returned with victory perched upon his beaver from the glorious capture of fort christina but the indignant peter shut his doors and windows and took refuge in the innermost recesses of his mansion that he might not hear the ignoble rejoicings of the rabble commissioners were now appointed on both sides and a capitulation was speedily arranged all that was wanting to ratify it was that it should be signed by the governor when the commissioners waited upon him for this purpose they were received with grim and bitter courtesy his warlike accoutrements were laid aside an old indian nightgown was wrapped about his rugged limbs a red nightcap overshadowed his frowning brow an iron-grey beard of three days growth gave additional grimness to his visage thrice did he seize a worn-out stump of a pen and essay to sign the loathsome paper thrice did he clench his teeth and make a horrible countenance as though a dose of rhubarb senna and in had been offered to his lips at length dashing it from him he seized his brass-hilted sword and jerking it from the scabbard swore by st nicholas to sooner die than yield to any power under heaven for two old days did he persist in this magnanimous resolution during which his house was besieged by the rabble and menaces and clamorous revilings exhausted to no purpose and now another course was adopted to soothe if possible his mighty ire a procession was formed by the burgomasters and shepherds followed by the populace to bear the capitulation in state to the governor's dwelling they found the castle strongly 
barricaded and the old hero in full regimentals with his cocked hat on his head posted with a blunderbuss at the garret window there was something in this formidable position that struck even the ignoble vulgar with awe and admiration the brawling multitude could not but reflect with self-abasement upon their own pusillanimous conduct when they beheld their hardy but deserted old governor thus faithful to his post like a forlorn hope and fully prepared to defend his ungrateful city to the last these compunctions however were soon overwhelmed by the recurring tide of public apprehension the populace arranged themselves before the house taking off their hats with most respectful humility burgomaster rohrbach who was of that popular class of orators described by Salust as being talkative rather than eloquent stepped forth and addressed the governor in a speech of three hours length detailing in the most pathetic terms the calamitous situation of the province and urging him in a constant repetition of the same arguments and words to sign the capitulation the mighty peter eyed him from his garret window in grim silence now and then his eye would glance over the surrounding rabble and an indignant grin like that of an angry mastiff would mark his iron visage but though a man of most undaunted metal though he had a heart as big as an ox and a head that would have set adamant to scorn yet after all he was a mere mortal wearied out by these repeated oppositions and this eternal haranguing and perceiving that unless he complied the inhabitants would follow their own inclination or rather their fears without waiting for his consent or what was still worse the yankees would have time to pour in their forces and claim a share in the conquest he testily ordered them to hand up the paper it was accordingly hoisted to him on the end of a pole and having scrawled his name at the bottom of it he anathematized them all for a set of cowardly mutinous degenerate poltroons threw the capitulation at their heads slammed down the window and was heard stumping downstairs with vehement indignation the rabble incontinently took to their heels even the burgomasters were not slow in evacuating the premises fearing lest the sturdy peter might issue from his den and greet them with some unwelcome testimonial of his displeasure within three hours after the surrender a legion of british beef-fed warriors poured into new amsterdam taking possession of the fort and batteries and now might be heard from all quarters the sound of hammers made by the old dutch burghers in nailing up their doors and windows to protect their vows from these fierce barbarians whom they contemplated in silent solemnness from the garret windows as they paraded through the streets thus did colonel richard nichols the commander of the british forces enter into quiet possession of the conquered realm as locum tenens for the duke of york the victory was attended with no other outrage than that of changing the name of the province and its metropolis which thenceforth were denominated new york and so have continued to be called unto the present day the inhabitants according to treaty were allowed to maintain quiet possession of their property but so inveterately did they retain their abhorrence of the british nation that in a private meeting of the leading citizens it was unanimously determined never to ask any of their conquerors to dinner End of section forty two this recording is in the public domain